This morning's scripture is Psalm 55. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked. For they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and storm. Lord, confuse the wicked, confound their words, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. But as for me, I trust in you. Some strong words in that psalm, and we're going to get to them. Uh, my name is Graham. I'm on staff here at Elevation, and uh, thanks for your time this morning. It's uh, an honor to be up here um, talking today. And if you've been tracking with us this winter through February, we've been on a series looking at some of the, the more tense, often wintry emotions and experiences of uh, human existence, and we're wrapping that up a little bit today um, by looking at, at, at what happens when we're hurt by those we love. So to start off, I, I want to acknowledge a moment that just happened this weekend in Toronto on Friday night. So DeMar DeRozan was playing against uh, the Raptors. He's been a Raptor up until this year, their basketball team, for people like me. Some of you are like, okay, where's he going with the sports metaphor? And some of you are like, Graham is doing a sports metaphor. What is going on? So this was a significant moment for the city because he has played his entire career with them. 
he, uh, he refused to look and talk to other teams when his rookie contract was given up, saying, I am Toronto, this is where I want to be, this is where I want to stay. And he got traded this year against his will to another team. Um, they're really just trying to go all in and on trying to win a series. Uh, and he was quite hurt by this. And this was the first moment that he was back in the city since being traded away from a city that his kids went to school in, that he established roots in, that he has called home and emphatically said he wants to call home, which is quite significant because I don't know if hockey is different, but I, my understanding in basketball is that nobody wants to play in Toronto because they have to deal with the weather like this and you have to go through customs every time you play another team and taxes and currency exchange, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it was quite significant that he wanted to stay and they got rid of him. So everyone's looking at this moment saying, what is gonna happen? I'm not a big fan of sports. That's why this is weird that I'm doing this. But I was captivated by this moment because I think this speaks to something that all of us feel. What happens when someone who has sworn loyalty, has given allegiance, has kind of put all their chips on the table, given their heart to someone, is cast aside? All of us experience this. I think that's something that we need to start with. As we explore today, being hurt by those we love, and as we kind of go through and unpack this Psalm 55, I want to start by saying that this is just primal to our experience. And that's why a story like this captivates us. Because all of us have been hurt by those we love. All of us are going to be hurt by those we love. And this hurt can take a myriad of different um, approaches. This can be neglect. This can be um, stifling. This can be any experience with your kids, with your parents. We can all are thinking right now of a way that we've been hurt by someone we love. And so from the outset, I just want to acknowledge that this is pretty big. And we're all going to experience in this in different ways. And so my hope today is that we can walk through Psalm 55 and see what it kind of points to as we reflect on these spaces in our own life where we are hurt by those we love. And we're doing this in the Psalms this month. We've kind of intentionally been in this part of the scripture. And something that's awesome about Psalms is there's this whole section, a third of it, the biggest genre in the Psalms is lament. These moments in scripture where people are crying out to God and they're upset. And I like that because it tells us that we're allowed to cry out to God and be upset. And as we heard read, some of this language is pretty raw and pretty aggressive and pretty hurt. It's fresh. So we're going to walk through the psalm and unpack a few things that it explores as we think about being in relationship and in conflict and being hurt by those we love. So the psalmist begins by saying, listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my cry for help. Listen and answer me, for I am overwhelmed by my troubles. My enemies shout at me, making loud and wicked threats. They bring trouble on me and angrily hunt me down. My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me, and I can't stop shaking. The first thing that the psalmist is doing here is bringing this to God, and I must admit this is not the first thing that I do when I am hurt by someone. I tend to stew or I vent, but from the outset, what the psalmist is doing is inviting God into this situation. And he uses this language in verse 1 of, do not ignore my cry for help. Do not hide yourself from me. And this is language that people familiar with the scripture would have heard before because it shows up in the law. In Deuteronomy 22, we read laws like, if you see that your neighbor's donkey or ox has collapsed on the road, do not look the other way. Do not hide yourself from your neighbor. Go and help your neighbor get back that donkey back on its feet. And I know, like, the law books get a big rip, but this is a great law. Like, I would love it if we had laws like this. Like, hey, don't look the other way. <laughs> it's in the law. Uh, and so that's what the psalmist is saying to God. Do not look the other way. He's willing to call God out on something he might feel like God is doing to him and say, look at me. Be here in my, in my moment of hurt 
Do not hide yourself. Do not ignore my cry for help. God is being allowed to be present and bear witness to this experience. And as the psalmist goes on, we see that this experience is like something that we've all felt and it can be hard to articulate in psalms. It's sometimes nice for the language that it gives us that is outside something we could use ourselves. The psalmist describes this quite traumatically. And I think if we can think back to moments we've been hurt by those we love. It is trauma. Can't stop shaking. Fear and trembling overwhelm. If we've been hurt by someone we love, this can be really helpful language for exploring this. We can feel blindsided, completely rejected. Sometimes it's a long, drawn-out process of this hurt and ongoing thing we have with someone we love. The psalmist continues, as many of us continue. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, that I could fly away and rest. I would go far away to the quiet of the wilderness. How quickly I would escape from this wild storm of hatred. Sure is easier to run away. We want to just avoid whatever the hurt is. And sometimes I think in the moment that is the best thing to do is just remove ourselves from the moment. But we want to stay there. We want to stay far away in the wilderness. It's a peaceful place. No one's there to bother us. I can stay isolated out here. Maybe it's for the best. And often in the Bible, the wilderness is a place that people do go to where God meets them. I think of Elijah, John the Baptist, Jesus during his temptation. The wilderness is in some ways a character that these people interact with where God shows up, connects with them, and then pushes them back into the experience that they've been experiencing. He's asking them to step back into the pain, into what they're supposed to go into. And it makes sense because our hearts are quite tender, right? Um, I hurt my back this week, and I don't, I don't say that as, as pity, but I just say it because I'm supposed to be stretching it and things, um, and I don't want to because it hurts. Uh, but if I don't do that, it's not going to get better. If I just choose to lay down all the time and just try to keep it still, nothing is going to be resolved. It's a way to live. Is it a good way to live? Not for me. Ignoring the problem, running to the wilderness, certainly won't make it any easier for us. Isolation is not how we're meant to live. If we never love because we've been hurt or we choose once we've been hurt to just avoid love or situations that could be harmful again, we become a casket. There's this brilliant quote that you may have heard by C.S. Lewis who, who talked about these different ways that we love in the world. And he's speaking about the need to love to, to hold our hearts out. He said that to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And that's easy to read, but it's not easy to live. The psalmist continues by saying, confuse them, Lord. Frustrate their plans. I see violence and conflict in the city. Its walls are patrolled day and night against invaders. The real danger is wickedness in the city. Everything is falling apart. Threats and cheating are rampant in the streets. And this is 
Um, something that we are not able to relate to as well as the psalmist, perhaps, because in our day and age, things, I, I live in a very safe neighborhood. I live in a very safe country, and I'm grateful for that, and I don't often think of that. At the time of this writing, a city was a place of refuge, and the roads between cities were rife with conflict and intruders, and a, a wall around a city was quite a protective measure. It was a place that was supposed to be free from harm. That's why people gathered together. That's why they built the walls, so that the place inside could be safe. So the psalmist saying things like violence and conflict are in the city is an assault to this place that has been established that was supposed to be a safe place. And you may have experienced this yourself. Something was established between you and a family or other people that has, was supposed to be safe, and it has not become that way anymore. What you thought this was has become something else that it was never meant to be, that you never thought it could become. And it, while I acknowledge that, I want to cautiously give a challenge, and so I'm, I'm hoping that I say this right, um, but just come clarify with me after if this is like really getting your back up. But I think uh, we could challenge the psalmist about his expectations. Has he unexpectedly, has he, has he had expectations for what the city was supposed to be that the city never claimed it could be? I think many times um, a lot of our disappointments in life come from mismanaged expectations. We expect something from relationships that wasn't there or wasn't our right to expect. Have I inserted myself into something I wasn't supposed to. During my reading this week, I came across an analogy of our relationships with one another, like there's kind of three pillows. So there's a pillow over here, a pillow in the middle, and then a pillow over here. And if, if we use my wife and I as an example, I've got a pillow over here that's mine to stand on. And, Ra and Rachel's got a pillow over here that she can stand on. And in the middle of us is this pillow that we are both allowed to enter and have a relationship together. At no point can I come stand over here. That's not what my job is, that's not my right, and that's not an expectation I should have, and no right should she come and be over here, but together there's this middle ground where we are able to meet, and I think sometimes we have mismanaged expectations when we are expecting that we can walk in and change things, or people are supposed to be the way we want them to be, in a way that isn't actually appropriate for us to work on, or expect from them. And so the second challenge with this is that as we acknowledge that we've been hurt by those we love, I think we just as equally have to acknowledge that we have hurt those that we love. The people you love or have loved and are in relationship with are at least as sinful as you. They're at least as selfish as you are. The psalmist continues. And this is where it gets into the thrust of what we're talking about today. So it's not just the city that's, that's causing problem. It's not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. I could bear an enemy. It's not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion and close friend, what good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. And later on in the psalm, the psalmist goes on and says, As for my companion, he betrayed his friends. He broke his promises. His words are as smooth as butter, but his heart is war. His words are as soothing as lotion, but underneath are daggers. Verse 14 speaks about the good fellowship we enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. This is a close friend. This is someone from church. Maybe not someone in a different pew, but somebody that you were in a small group with or that you carpooled together to. This is someone you used to walk into continuous community and fellowship with, and that isn't there anymore. 
uh, people we're in regular community with often are the ones who can hurt us the most. And this is where maybe I give another caution or something that I've certainly been challenged by. Sometimes we can get things fuzzy, especially I think when it relates to this place, to church and community here. Uh, I was at a trade show. Uh, my dad and I went to this woodworking show in Toronto yesterday. Father, son, bonding time, great. And um, there was, I, I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to. Uh, there was a booth of people trying to like evangelize. Like they were going to give you a free walking stick. And it's like a wood show, so you'd expect them to be good. But they were like rounded dowels. And I was just like, this isn't a walking stick. And in exchange, they wanted to like say a sinner's prayer with you and get you to commit this thing to God. And I just, I, I personally just struggle with that. I, I struggle with the image of Christianity that's given out in those moments. And I just struggle with the insistence and the lack of relationship. And I left bitter. Um, and I don't have a personal relationship with that person. But I think when we have personal relationships with people in church, especially, and they hurt us or something happens where there's our faith and our relationship with God tied in, sometimes we need to be careful that we don't put that unsafety we now feel with that person on, as an unsafety with God. I can be a pretty poor representative of God a lot of the times, and I think you can too. And I think that other people cannot be the litmus test we run our relationship with God through. But that's something that we fall into, I think. That's a lot of people's experience of church is, is annoying Christians. It's not means, it does not mean that God is that way. The psalmist here isn't caught up in that. The psalmist is still very much connecting to God while being very, very frustrated with this friend from church. And later on, he talks about these smooth words, this language that our loved ones use that can be misleading, right? Like, this, this is stuff we experience all the time. When words that have traditionally meant something that are smooth, um, like butter or lotion, um, disguise weapons. I'm so sorry. It will never happen again. I love you. These words can be used to massage things out of context, and often it can be used inappropriately. But we do wrong, if I can bring up the C.S. Lewis quote again, by denying this community and fellowship. Without community and fellowship, the psalmists and, and people who reflect on the Old Testament look at this and say, this is a vital part of their communi community experience. This is a, a wrong that has happened, that they can't go to the temple together. Because without community and fellowship, we are certainly alive, but are we living? And if we go back to C.S. Lewis's quote, he talks about being locked up in the casket or coffin of our selfishness. We're alive, but is there living if we are not open to these things? And friendship and intimacy can be the hardest, right? It's like this terrible irony that the person I give my heart the most to is the person who can hurt me the most. None of you here are going to be able to hurt me the way Rachel can. Because I've given her far more of myself than I've given to you. It doesn't seem fair. <laughs> in verse 13, there's this emphatic you, this confrontation. And this is an interesting thing I think we can just look at when we're reading the Psalms. When you're reading Psalms at home, sometimes the voice of who's being talked to can be kind of interesting, right? We can sometimes read them as if it's just like me praying this thing to God. But oftentimes we get moments in the Psalms like this where there seems to be almost this turn to another person. And, and sometimes we don't realize that maybe the Psalms were read out loud. That, that to read scripture and mumble it under your breath was not something that was happening a lot, that it was actually quite a vocal reading. And so to invite these third other voices in is part of the dialogue and part of what we read in the Psalms. It's like this person is sort of praying out loud, and then they, maybe the person is in the audience that they're confronting. 
And this is just something to keep in the back of our mind as we're reading through the Psalms over the course of our life, is what are the voices, who is the audience, what are the different turns within the speech that we don't see when we're just reading it that would be there if it was being read out loud or being performed. But this you is confrontation. The problem is being approached. They're willing to acknowledge the hurt that's there, call out the person for what has happened, and acknowledge the hurt there, I assume to start to seek forgiveness and reconciliation. This is the hardest part of those we love us. We, we're fine going to the wilderness and maybe just avoiding it or, or severing ties, but to step back into that and acknowledge when we've been hurt is one of the hardest things I think we will ever do in this life. Maybe the hardest. But it's the story worth telling. People paid thousands of dollars to go see this one game in Toronto because this moment of how is this guy going to react to a city that threw him under the bus and how are the fans going to react to this guy is something people want to be tied up in. We like stories of people coming back together and relationships being mended. And the challenge has to be are we willing to step in and try to live that story ourselves? Especially as Christians. Forgiveness is a huge part of this. We're called to love our enemies, and if I'm honest, my enemies are usually people I used to have a really good relationship with. We can often take this experience we have of, of one relationship being hurt and then put it on to the rest of our relationships too, can't we? I'm now unlovable. Oh, I'm really bad at loving someone. Which is also not true. We weren't born to survive, to just be on our own. We're a communal species. We're meant to be in relationship with one another. Without fellowship and community, are we living? We're built for relationships, and we are good at them, generally. Even if our experiences leave us feeling like we're not. And sometimes reconciliation won't occur. Right? To, to try to approach forgiveness and to start to walk down that road recognizing that it is the better path, it is the better story, does not mean that it will happen, right? Somebody else might not be there. We can only control what we're doing. It's the pillow thing. I can't make somebody come where I am. I can just step up and do what I am convicted about is the right way forward. But forgiveness and us working towards that is at the heart of our faith. And I think it's just important to acknowledge that sometimes this continued um, desire to try to mend the relationship actually is really inappropriate and unsafe. In situations of abuse, when there is a clear power over somebody, whether it's physical, sexual, emotional, that is not an appropriate time to continue to go back to this relationship, trying to mend things and to step into that. You need to become safe away from this. And if you are unsure right now if that is one of the relationships in your life, I would really, please come talk to one of our pastoral care team members. And they might be able to help you discern that. Because I recognize that when we're caught in that, that is, we don't know what's going on, and so much is tied up for us. And the psalm gets a little harsh as we move on and we continue to work through it. This person is calling out in verse 15, let death stalk my enemies, let the grave swallow them alive, for evil becomes its home with them. I will call on God and the Lord will rescue me. It's invoking this scene we see in the Old Testament where these rebels are swallowed up, literally into the ground, they get swallowed up, and Moses wins the fight. Um, and I think it's easier to sometimes gloss over those, but I don't want to do that because we encounter this a lot in the Bible, is these weird scenes where we read this and say, I don't, that's not how I was taught to speak about people. Uh, what do we do with this? 
And when we encounter language like this, like invoking this very visceral, almost death wish upon someone else, it really does throw us off. And we have, may have thought this or felt like we have reason to, and I think it is important to acknowledge that the psalmist is comfortable bringing this to God, that these things towards God are things that are certainly better processed there than other places. But something I've been challenged with over the last couple of years to consider when we get into the Old Testament in particular is often what gets a bad rep around some of these more um, aggressive images is to, is to ask ourselves, for who could this be good news? It's not, it's not for me. This is, this is quite uncomfortable from the position I live in life. But there are people in the world right now who might be reading this and use this text and say, you know, this is the words I need. This is the visceral feeling that I need to get out right now. Especially those who are far more oppressed or abused than I am. I mean, there's a lot more to go into than that, but I think sometimes that can help us when we encounter this very aggressive language. I think for many of us, the Psalms, if nothing else, point to this cathartic way that we can approach God in all things. The hurt, the frustration. The Psalmist felt free to do so, so we can as well. And in verse 16, right, the Psalmist is not escaping, but he's turning to God. He is seeking refuge. Despite what he's felt, he's not cutting off this relationship with God. Despite this friend from church who has really tainted his view of this whole experience, he is continuing to come into relationship with God. I think it's because God knows more than anyone what it is like to be hurt by those he loves. God is familiar with broken marriage vows. He's familiar with adulterous ways of those who he has sought to be intimate with. Just start reading the Old Testament. And you'll just come into time and time again of, of God extending himself, offering his heart, and, and hurt happening there, being hurt by those he loves. The book of Hosea is like just this extended metaphor of a, a relationship gone bad and God saying, I'm this one who keeps trying to be faithful. What is happening? And I want us to wrap up our time um, with a passage that's just been sitting with me this week that's not in this psalm. It's in the New Testament. It's at the end of John. So listen, I hope I'm not jumping on your Bible study too much. But um, at the end of John, uh, we get this interaction um, over breakfast between Peter and Jesus. And so the background is that Jesus has died and he's been resurrected. And before he died, one of his closest disciples, Peter, he gave him the name Peter, uh, denies him. He kind of, in his time of need, in his time of trial, steps away, walks away from the relationship for his own, whatever he's going through. We're as sinful as the people who, who have hurt us. Uh, and they, they come back together at breakfast, and there's a crowd of them. And I, I don't know if you've ever been in this, but it can sure be awkward when there's like an unspoken conflict between you and somebody else in the room, and there's a lot of people there, right? And, and you see them, and maybe you weren't expecting to see them, and that conflict is there. And so I'm going to read out this exchange, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit. At the end of John 21, uh, it says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I think Jesus is asking a question that all of us are constantly asking the people we're in close relationship with. Not explicitly, but implicitly in our actions and the things we do. Do you love me? Do you love me? 
This is just, I think, part of our broken human condition. We're always kind of seeking this out. And, and this exchange is interesting because it just feels like they're kind of banding back the same word over and over again, and there's this struggle and this tension between the two of them. Um, but uh, at risk of, of being a terrible stereotype, if we look at the Greek, <laughs> um, we'll notice that the wording is a little different. In, in Greek, there are a few different words used for love. And if you want a great book with a great quote in it, you could check out Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. I know the library here has it, where he kind of unpacks these different words for love. And this sometimes happens when we're reading the translation that we have doesn't necessarily get at it because we just simply don't have the word for it in English. And so there's two words for love that come up in this passage. The one is agape. It's a word that gets thrown around in church a lot, but this idea of unconditional, like great love, this unconditional kind of no-strings-attached love. And the other is philia, which is a brotherly love. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. And so at um, if Eugene Peterson can write the message, I'm going to try just one passage. So bear with me and, and, and talk to me after if you don't like it. But I'm going to try to just reinterpret it a little bit uh, for us because the words that they use for love are different in this passage than what we have. So let's read it again. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. And sorry, this is interesting to point out too, right? He's called him Peter. He's given him this name. And at the end, he goes back to this like formal, full name of his. It's like an impersonal, they don't have a relationship. Simon, son of John, do you love me? It's not, hey, Pete, this guy that I've loved and been in relationship with for three years. Simon, son of John, do you unconditionally love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you like a brother. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you unconditionally love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me like a brother? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me like a brother? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you like a brother. There's been a rift in their relationship. And I, I think we tend to think of agape as a bigger love. Peter is not there yet. Or he doesn't feel like he can be. There's maybe shame tied up there. There's confusion. There's hurt. Jesus is extending himself. And he's not ready to meet him where they have been in the past. And I think this is helpful for us. That I, th th there's a tall, lofty challenge this morning to step out of the wilderness into these spaces of relationship where we're hurt, where we've had incredible damage done. And I, I think it's important to recognize that the relationship will not be the same but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't start. That, that there is a rift here that it, I, I think we have evidence through the rest of the Bible that the relationship does grow between the two of them. But in this moment, there's a rift and Peter is wondering, I don't know if I can get back to where we were. And I think that's okay. We're not starting there. We're not starting to get back to where we were, but we are starting to have some sort of relationship again. Even if that looks differently and even if the word of love that has been used before is not the one that we can use again. We can't expect our relationships to be where they were, but we can begin again. If we go back to Psalm 55, it wraps up in verse 19 by saying that God, who has ruled forever, will you hear me? And maybe that's the verse we can take with us this week. God, who has ruled forever, will hear us. You are not terrible at relationships. You were created to have them and to work on them, even though it sucks. <laughs> 
And I don't have a good segue into our annual meeting from here. <laughs> so we're going to sing together. We've had a few different songs this morning that are asking us to do what the psalmist has done with his friend. To hold his heart out there and to hold it to God, recognizing that God is very familiar with being hurt by those he loves. And so as we sing, I surrender, may that be something that we sing. And I, I, I think sometimes we, we um, I have to remember that we sing these songs because, at least for me, I sing these songs because I don't believe them. But by singing them and continuing to make them a part of my regular rhythms, I hope that I can believe them more and more and more as I walk in this life with God. And as I build this relationship with God. So let's sing together.